0: gaming. It's come a long way in the last 20 years. We've jumped from the original tabletop Atari and Pac-Man to something that you can now carry around in the palm of your hand. Gaming has blossomed into one of the world's most profitable industries. Now that we carry mobile computers with us wherever we go in the form of smartphones, games have never been so accessible. Growing up, many of us have been told to leave the gaming console alone and go outside and play but could we improve our cognition or train ourselves to be better at specific tasks by playing games or what about games that can be played solely through brain power alone no movement no handheld controllers required it sounds futuristic but games like this already exist Today, we speak to Dr. Bianca DeWitt from the Department of Cognitive Science and the ARC Centre of Excellence in Cognition and Its Disorders from Macquarie University in Sydney. Bianca is the Deputy Director of the Undergraduate Program there, and her research focuses on visual word recognition, and more recently, neurogaming technology and how it can be used in education. Today, she chats to us about the new and exciting field of neurogaming.
1: Yeah, interesting for me too. I'm not a gamer at all. So um, very fun to be introduced to this type of technology. I think it's opening up so many different doors,
0: not just in the gaming world, but just in the science world as well. So my understanding of neurogaming is that people can interact with each other within a game without traditional controllers while they're looking at a screen. Yeah, that's right. So
1: no more hands needed. Um, pretty much what happens is you measure your brain activity through electrodes that are in your head, um, and you train the headset up in such a way that it uses your brain activity to actually play the game. So a really good example is the game Angry Birds, for example. So, um, they've trained, there are people out there that have trained the headset up in such a way that they can play Angry Birds without ever having to touch a key or a joystick or whatever you might use to play that game.
0: You showed us a video in a talk you gave to some Year 10 students earlier, and it is incredible to watch. Can you tell us a little bit about the headsets that are involved in neurogaming? Are they different to an ordinary EEG, an electroencephalograph?
1: There are several headsets out there. The one that I'm most familiar with is called the Emotive Epoch Plus headset. Um, It's very different to, say, a research-grade system like Neuroscan or Biosemi in that we're only using 14 electrodes. And they're all hardwired in that they're, they're stuck on a cap um, and it's a plastic cap. Um,
0: so they're in specific locations on the head. For listeners who aren't familiar with the term EEG, can you explain how it works and what we use it for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the brain, I guess, is the brain. And as part of the brain, there are working units and we call those things neurons. And neurons talk to each other using electrical signals, and it's those signals that we can pick up on with EEG. So, what's involved is you actually stick a little electrode on someone's scalp. Um, they're in specific positions based on the systematic international system, um, and those electrodes pick up on the electricity of the brain. And that, from that, we can do a lot of data processing and all of that. But we can actually visualise what's going on inside of inside our heads.
0: So what does your research entail and what kinds of visual
1: stimuli do you use? So um, what my research would involve is um, I'm a visual word recognition person. So I would show words, visual words up on a screen and people have to make a decision about them. For example, whether it's a real existing word or something that only looks like a word, but isn't really a word. Um, And what happens is that the electrodes pick up on the brain activity that's going on while you're performing that task but we still need to dive just a little bit deeper into that signal before we can pull anything meaningful out of it so we have what you'll see is something that we call an EEG signal but what we're really interested in is what's happening in the brain in relation to some of the experiments or manipulations that we may have introduced during the task mm-hmm. so yeah there's there's a bit more processing involved than just it popping up on the screen um, but yes essentially that's how it all starts absolutely
0: so the gaming device, the headset that you're using now, has that replaced the traditional EEG in your research? I wouldn't say it's replaced it. I would say
1: it's definitely a good addition. Um, it's definitely opening up a lot of extra doors to research. I don't think anything will ever replace a research grade system. And even though we're getting really good results with the gaming system, it's never going to be the same as the research grade system. Um, But for example, as I said this morning, if we have populations like people with autism that find it scary to come into an environment that they're not used to, especially if it's full of medical equipment, Um, we can now actually take the headsets to them and do research there. And sure, it might not be as ideal as bringing them into the lab and using research grade equipment, but it's giving us a good idea of what is actually
0: going on. We might pot some, pop some photos up on our website, but essentially, when you look at an EEG, it's kind of like, a, almost like a cloth skull cap or like a swimming cap, but made out of cloth with lots and lots of different wires come out. Coming out, um, can you explain to the listeners what these neurogaming headsets look like and the, the benefits of them in terms of their portability?
1: Yeah, so the original system is really, as you say, just a plastic cap and um, there are little electrodes that would fit into slots on that cap um, and you have to fill them up with conductive gel so that we can actually get the electricity out of the head inside the electrode. So it's a little bit
0: sticky and messy, is it?
1: It is very messy, yes. Um, It's very finicky and afterwards the only way to remove the gel out of your hair is to wash your hair. Um, With these research grade systems, we don't use gel um, and we don't, so the, the research grade system, as you said, they're, you're connected to a computer. There's wires involved. The research gra- the gaming one is wireless. So what happens if we have little dental rolls, like those cotton rolls you get stuffed into your cheek when you go to the dentist? We cut them into pieces and we dip them into saline solution and we put that in the electrode
0: and against your scalp and that's all we need. That's amazing. And you actually, you're from Sydney, and we're f- recording this in Brisbane, and you said you actually packed it into your carry-on luggage. I did, yes. I was very nervous going through security.
1: Um, I took it to America earlier this year, and I was convinced I was going to be pulled to the
0: side. But no one seems, everyone just goes, okay, you're just bringing your dental rolls. Fine. <laughs> Can you explain in terms of education and research what the, uh, the goal or the overarching question is that you're trying to answer? Oh,
1: they're very separate things. Um, In my most current work, where I'm actually using this technology in education, it's really focusing on, so we're teaching neuroscience and we're teaching kids about EEG. That's a really difficult thing to grasp. Even if you've been working with this equipment or using this technique for quite a while, it's a challenging technique. And I think when students come in in their first year of university, they feel overloaded. So my goal is to actually make it easier for them to understand certain neuroscience topics. And the way to do that is to actually get them to do it. So instead of just reading about EEG and hearing about it during your lectures, they actually come into their normal classrooms and we bring in the headsets and the laptops and they get to perform EEG scans on each other, visualising their own brain activity and then analysing it and getting an ERP waveform by the end of it. Um, So it's really learning by doing. And that will hopefully um, help them remember.
0: And then in terms of the research side of things, can you elaborate a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so the goal of research really is to work out how the brain and the mind work, essentially, massive question, and we're chipping away at it um, bit by bit. And hopefully, as I said, this um, gaming system can open up a few more doors and actually give us an insight into research that we could otherwise not do.
0: In terms of the word recognition work that you're doing, what's the potential application for this work? Is it for people with dyslexia or is it understanding how we process words and language?
1: A bit of both. There are always massive applications eventually. Um, In a more direct way, it really is more about understanding how we're processing those words and how we're making those decisions. Um, so for me, it's more about this direct level of working out what's going on at the moment. And I'm definitely using EEG more as a an extra insight into some of the behavioural research I've already
0: done. In terms of processing the data that comes out of an EEG, because you have so many electrodes and the brain is simmering with activity, how much processing do you need to do in terms of getting an understanding of what someone is thinking? Is it very specific or from that electrical information, can you get a more general idea of what's going on? It would
1: be a bit more general. There are quite a few processing steps involved. I'm um, not going to lie. There is a bit of computer work that goes on. Um, the most essential thing that we do is we have to average across trials. So EEG signals, even though they're coming from the same person, they're very variable per trial so what we typically do in an experiment is we actually give people say three or four hundred trials and within those trials some of those trials would belong to one certain condition and some of them to another um, so that you actually get an awful lot of repetitions not necessarily of say the same word but definitely the same type of word and by averaging across we get a good idea of what is going on in general um, I would not say look at just, oh, what happens in the brain if I show someone the word dog, but you might be able to see, well, if someone needs to make a certain semantic categorization decision, which we have come to by averaging several animal stimuli, it will give us a clearer idea.
0: Are there potential applications in terms of improving people's attention spans through neurogaming training?
1: Yeah, that's a very hot topic at the moment. Um, I actually went to a very interesting research talk on that not that long ago. Um, And the main conclusion with that is really that the benefit you get out of training on, say, a memory task the transfer that you get to other tasks, we either call that broad transfer a very narrow transfer. And it turns out the transfer you get is actually really narrow. So it, it makes sense when you think about it that you're training yourself on, say, memory. Of course, you're going to get better at memory tasks, but you're not necessarily going to get better at spatial attention tasks or
0: anything like that. So, for example, in terms of, say, doing Sudokus all the time, you might get really good at Sudokus, but not necessarily other processing tasks? Research seems to suggest so. Um, there's definitely focus on
1: staying active and doing things like Sudoku um, will definitely help you and keep your brain active. I'm not an expert in this area, so I, I, I can't say whether they are effective or whether they're not. Um, but, yeah, as I mentioned, the recent, to- the recent talk I went to was very interesting. Um, and it seems to be more like a media hype at the moment that, oh, train your brain and you'll get better at absolutely everything
0: I don't think that we're at that stage yet. So is it still a little bit of a myth that needs further research then?
1: Further research is
0: definitely necessary. (laughs) What would you like people to know about education in Neurogaming?
1: Yeah, I suppose just how we can actually use it to make teaching more fun. Um, One of the things that we've definitely noticed in our undergraduate major at Macquarie is That students are loving the interactive, hands-on research activities that they get to engage in. And I think we're giving them the opportunity and commercial technology like the emotive headset is making it possible for them to actually be active instead of just being more of a passive student that goes to university. And hopefully we can,
0: you know, give more students that opportunity. In terms of the future of brain-computer interfaces, people like to talk about the fact that, you know, machines will one day be able to read our mind. Do you think we're still a little way off from that? I certainly hope so.
1: (laughs) I don't want anyone to be able to read my mind. Um, Yes, I think that is still a long way away. I mean, never say never. Here we are, you know, years ago, we didn't even have these neurogaming devices. But um, I think it is still very much at the stage where we're working at processes and not actually reading someone's mind.
0: That was Dr. Bianca DeWitt talking about neurogaming, and that's all for this episode. I'm Donna Lou and our podcast is produced by Jessica McGore. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends about it, give us a review on iTunes which helps other people find the podcast, or let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for listening.